And welcome to Visionaries. I'm John LaBelle, your host, and you'll find us here at prn.fm every Monday at 10 a.m. That's 10 a.m. Eastern Time, but since we're global, it could be any time. And find our back shows, including this one by maybe tomorrow, on visionaries.podbean, P O D B E A N is in Nancy.com. And my guest today is Brian Francis Calkin, a writer, film director, and cultural theorist. And um, I've introduced him on previous shows. He's got a lot of books. Uh, the Meaning of Trump uh, talks about uh, Boston and gentrification, boxing. But today we're going to talk about shamanism and brian's new book just out the ayahuasca dialogues globalization plant medicine and the healing of the human heart that he's written with ricardo amaringo did i pronounce that right so brian welcome thank you thank you it's nice to be here thank you for having me on your show again my pleasure so tell us about this book what is ayahuasca what are we up to here <laughs> that's a Good question. Um, ayahuasca is a, it's a plant medicine to, to put it simply, but it's a combinatory brew, a combinatory brew that's made from two distinct parts that, that perform different um, biological functions. They have different chemical properties and they perform different symbolic functions. But when they're brewed together, um, the, the composite brew is referred to as ayahuasca and the brew has been used amongst the indigenous peoples in the Amazon, Ecuador, Colombia, Brazil, Peru, for thousands of years. And it has a very, very strong both psychedelic and healing effects. So this, um, I've, I've been living in Peru in, in the Amazon jungle basically for the past three years. So I've, I've, um, once I started taking the medicine myself, I became interested in writing about it from a theoretical perspective and, and trying to link it with what's happening in the world right now. So Ricardo is a, um, who I co-authored the book with, um, is a very, very well-known and respected shaman who has a center, an international center in the Aikidos area. Aikidos is an interesting place. Um, it's about a half million people and you can't get there other than by plane or by boat. So it's, in, it's literally in the middle of the jungle. Um, and it has a very interesting history as well, being a, a, a key side of, interestingly enough, the entire global economy from about 1880 to about 1915 or so because of the rubber trade. So it's a very, very important place of uh, rubber exportation to the kind of the, the places like Detroit and, and Manchester, England, and, and, and all of the other cities that were important in the, um, in the era of industrial capitalism that needed rubber. And now Aikidos is kind of having this I don't know what you'd call it, but it's, it's, it's kind of coming back on the cultural map after about 60 or 70 years of kind of falling off the edge. And it's coming back on the map because of ayahuasca. And Ricardo has a, you know, he has people from six continents and a hundred countries. And, you know, he's, he's a very busy guy. 
And when I had first gone there in 2017, in the beginning, about two years ago now, to his center, um, within the first week of me being there, I proposed the idea to him and he was all for it. So it's kind of, it's here, here we are now, the book's coming out this week. And so we'll see how, how people um, respond to it. But, cool. but I'm excited, you know? Yeah. I mean, so yeah. let's um, kind of build up this discussion. Uh, I'm a person of the 60s, so yeah. I know about LSD. So what is a hallucinogen? Uh, how is ayahuasca similar to or different from LSD or other hallucinogens? Well, the first thing is, is like I mentioned, it's a combinatory brew, so it has two component parts. Whereas something like mushrooms is just a singularity and LSD is a, is a, is a chemical. Um, my own experience with LSD, in terms of like making a direct comparison to it, it's pretty limited. I mean, I, I took it a few times in high school with my friends and, you know, I, 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 was, I remember laughing a lot and it was fine. I, I liked it. But I, I was also a pretty serious athlete in high school. So as much as I probably would have liked to continue experimenting with it, I really couldn't. Um, but, um, you know, Terrence McKenna, who is kind of one of the great writers about psychedelia and, and American culture over the past 50 years, he has described LSD in his writings as being kind of psychoanalytic, ha having a kind of um, intellectual left brain type of, um, ex it, it provokes that, that kind of psychic probing. Whereas mm -hmm. ayahuasca is a little bit different. It's it's actually a lot different. Um, for me, my, my own, I can share my own experiences if you're interested. Um, my, my own experience for me, and I, I drank ayahuasca, I'm not sure, maybe, you know, over a hundred times. So, um, for me, it's, it's very emotional for me. It's very, very, um, I feel very much in my body. Um, you know, ayahuasca can be kind of a mix. It's, it's, it's a wild card. You never know what you're going to get. Two, two, two ceremonies and two, two consecutive nights can be wildly different. But if I was to articulate the general experience for me, it would be it would be that it would be an, an emotional experience. And, and most ceremonies, I find myself kind of laying on my back and just breathing and enjoying being alive. Um, there's something ecstatic about that, and, and the, it's it's very very um, sensuous and sensual for me. And then you know, and other times it can uh, it's it can be very tough. You know, it's it can be very tough. Like kind of like muddy, earthy. It's like you're you're in the muck of of the universe, and then on other occasions it, it can be what I would call intergalactic. It can be cosmic. It can it can uh, really bring you out and give you a very broad view of things. Um, it's interesting that you brought up LSD. I I I kind of wanted. Um, I, I want to take some in the, in the not too distant future. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in, after having such an intense experience with ayahuasca, I'm definitely interested in, you know, doing LSD a couple more times. So, um, so yeah, so I, it'll be interesting to try that and, uh, and kind of compare it to my ayahuasca experiences, I guess. Yeah, it's, and it's difficult knowing that you're getting good stuff. Um, I got a good supply 50 years ago from uh, the Brotherhood. They were yeah, yeah, yeah. orange pills, uh, rumored to be the best thing there ever was. And, um, you know, that's that's 50 years ago. So, yeah. uh, you know, and people who brew the stuff put other things in it so you never know. 
So uh, for question to our audience, we're not advocating anything here. No, 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 definitely not. And I, you know, ayahuasca is legal in Peru, you know, so it's it's not considered by any means a drug. It's considered a, 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 a medicine. And, um, you know, I think, I believe there are certain groups in America that have First Amendment privileges to use it in ceremonial instances. But, you know, we have to be full disclosure here. Ayahuasca is illegal in America. So, you know, okay. um, yeah. So Definitely. that that aside, um, you know, if we... And, and I'd also like to add, yeah. you know, I don't drink alcohol. And I, I'm, I'm generally even, I mean, I think marijuana, for me at least, it's not a very... You know, I, I would much prefer something like ayahuasca as a plant medicine than marijuana. Marijuana in the Amazon jungle, most shamans think of marijuana as somewhat of a degraded plant. There's, it comes with all kinds of baggage that other plants don't have that can perform similar healing functions. Mm. And I think what's happening right now with the emergence of the cannabis industrial complex, um, you know, there are some dangers there. I mean, this isn't to say, I mean, some, some people really like marijuana, that's fine. I, I personally don't use it and don't really advocate for it. But, um, you know, I, I definitely think marijuana is probably better than taking Prozac or some of these other not very helpful uh, corporatized chemicals, you could say. Um, but it is it will be interesting to see what happens as cannabis becomes um, legal in more states and maybe even across the country. So it, it will be interesting to see how that merges with not only the pharmaceutical industrial complex, but also the basic logic of capital itself. So that that will be something that's that's definitely an area of, of interest of mine that I that I have, you know, a kind of a theoretical interest. So we'll see what happens with that. Yeah. So on ayahuasca or whatever one's personal choice of psychedelics might be, uh, we think of um, the growing up education unfolding development of a human being sure. and we want to have social interactions sure, uh, sure. we want to have relationships to our cultural traditions uh, some people might uh, advocate for quote-unquote religious whatever that might mean yeah. uh, development and experience we want to be educated we want to be familiar with the literature of our culture um, in terms of being a fully developed human being, yeah. what, how might we just describe the role of uh, ayahuasca or similar um, substances? Sure. Well, I mean, if you listen to McKenna, the, the usage of psychedelic plant medicine is, is what made us human back in the, back in the plains of Africa. Um, that that was key to the evolutionary process of the human being. Now, that's by no means an accepted theory in, in, by, in mainstream science, but it's definitely a, a provocative idea that he has in terms of how these type of uh, chemicals were, were very, very, very important to the development of, of human consciousness. Now, if we're talking about how it can be helpful to a human being living in 2019, that's, a, that's definitely a, a different... Um, question. Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of summarize the basic, the basic um, socialization process and cultural indoctrination process that a human being goes through. H Heidegger called this being thrown into the world. We're thrown into a contingent historical circumstance when we're born, into our family, into our town, into our country, and of course into the language that we speak. 
So I think that, you know, what, what all psychedelic medicine or in the case of LSD, a chemical does is that it help, you know, we're part of a symbolic system, right? And in one sense, we're part of, we're all part of planet earth, which is kind of an overriding symbolic system. And then some of us live in America, some of us live in China, some of us live in Texas, so on and so forth. So there's different levels of how these symbolic edifices interact. The, the three, the three great entities, United States, China, and Texas. <laughs> exactly, 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 exactly. Yes, of course. Um, so I think what these, what these medicines can do, and you know, part of what happens when we grow up is we get entangled in these sips in, in these symbolic systems. We, we over identify with their content. You know, we, we become traumatized by our going to school or when daddy gives us a slap in the butt when we're five. But so what, what these medicines can do is they can help disentangle us from these symbolic systems and step away from them so we can see them and we can see our own part of, of what, what we have done from being further and further, um, becoming further and further immersed into the content of, of these systems. And then it helps us step aside so we can live a better life. And like you say, we, we can become more human, right? But I, I would also say that what denotes the symbolic edifice of 21st century globalization and the system of capitalism and the system of global technologies. It, it is almost like um, turning symbolic systems into kind of like a digital panopticon, you could say, or I hate to use the word prison, but something like that. So these symbolic systems are, are vibrating right now at a very intense level. And, you know, look at America. I mean, there's a depression of anxiety and depression and all these uh, psychological pathologies. So, and that's why I think we're on the cusp of another situation similar to the 1960s. I think what you're going to see in the 2020s is a psychedelic renaissance. And how that will look, it's tough to say right now, but I absolutely think we are approaching a situation that's similar to what happened in, in the 1960s. I mean, it's similar in the sense that there'll be psychedelics involved. The historical and cultural circumstances are radically different from what we were facing in the 60s to what we're facing now. But nevertheless, you are going to see over the next decade, without question in my mind, because I see it in the Ketos. I mean, Aikidos in, in many ways is the ground zero of the global ayahuasca market. So I'm seeing people coming down there every single day. And I think with, with the conditions that are happening right now in society, and you know, we're, we're basically witnessing a, a, decom a decomposition of the social fabric that had of, of, of humanity. So I think this is a, and you know, Michael Pollan's recent book, How to Change Your Mind, he, he speaks to that. Um, and that, that book has gotten a lot of very uh, establishment uh, acceptance. I've heard him interviewed sure. on uh, NPR sure. and stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's, I think that book is a good introduction for people who might be a little bit, maybe a little bit scared, maybe a little bit afraid. So it's, it's, um, Pollen has a, you know, I mean, to me, it, it was fine. You know, I mean, I, I saw it for what it was. But um, he has a nice way, he, he had a nice way of introducing a topic that, although I don't find it scary at all, I, I find it quite beautiful and natural, 
but for a lot of people it is scary. And, and, and Paul and his writing gently introduces these uh, topics for people that might have some trepidation around it, which, you know, hey, God bless him for doing that. It's, uh, I, I, I think it was a nice thing what he did. Yeah, let me um, just mention two things. Uh, <clears throat> one, of the, one of the things that might be obvious for our audience to expect of us is to describe <clears throat> what these experiences are like. And <laughs> it can only be done with metaphors. So let me, let me do two. One of them is I, I thought back in the 60s and thinking about uh, LSD that you can imagine our culture and our, uh, our culturated perceptual systems, our cognition, sure. is like the lens on a camera. And uh, it organizes the incoming information to hit the film, to hit us. And uh, one way to describe LSD is like taking the lens off. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. And reality just comes and hits the film directly. Yeah. Uh, and then I'll, and then what does that mean? Uh, one can go on and talk about that. The other thing I like to describe is I had a, uh, a friend who was a very uh, hardcore scientist and very uh, not into anything, oh. Um, metaphysical. Right, metaphysical, new age, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, he and his wife got a very luxurious uh, cabinet at a resort and took LSD. And the next time I saw him, I said, well, what do you think? He said, is with a twinkle in his eyes, there are those who know and those who don't know. <laughs> yeah. But, so, you know, I, I, I would have to say something about that in, to, to comment on that, because what happened in the 1960s with, you know, LSD was the was the signature psychedelic of the 1960s. And what happened, when you look at the 1960s, the late 1960s, and how LSD integrated with the cultural times of that era, you know, what, what was really happening back then? Well, you know, you had um, the student protests, you had the protests against the Vietnam War, you had the, these kind of radical artistic experiment, experimentations that were happening in San Francisco with the Grateful Dead or Jefferson Air, just, just the whole movement of, of art that was flowering at that time. Um, but really what you were seeing, I think in many ways, was the end game of what Foucault called disciplinary societies. It was, it was kind of like the deterioration of industrialized capitalism, of like this kind of pseudo patriarchy, the gray suited man, you know, men, men working in factories and, or in the office building and, and kind of like the 1950s infrastructure of, uh, of culture. So you were seeing a rejection of that. And what's now LSD, like you said, was used as a methodology to, or a technique to see that. But what's happened since then, and you know, let's look at someone like Timothy Leary, who was kind of like the, the, the father figure, along with Richard Alpert, Ram Dass, of the 1960s psychedelic counterculture. What Leary did He's what he did or, you know, and, and we see this really now. He didn't really. And again, I really like Timothy Leary. He's a crazy Irish Catholic man like myself. So I, I do like him to a point. But I think what Leary did was just re and re kind of like a shift the trajectory of capitalism, where it kind of morphed from its disciplinary in the 
analysis of Foucault that it's a disciplinary phase and moved into what we have now, which is the nightmare of surveillance Silicon Valley capitalism. So I think what happened, like what I'm trying to say is that the development of the technologies of, of Facebook and Uber and so, I mean, these were all fundamentally influenced by the psychedelic movement of the 1960s. So I think what has to happen in the next decade is that we have to see the mistakes that were made in the 60s by people like, absolutely by Leary, um, and reformat that so we can really create a new world, you know, that that's free from that kind of, inst that, that what's what's happening right now with the integration of capitalism and network technologies. I mean, listen, the, the, the people reminisce about the 1960s, but the 1960s are fundamentally implicated with the with the mutation of capitalism that as it shifted into its neoliberal phase. So this has to be addressed and whatever happened. And I think this might be, you know, I think what, what's happening in Iquitos right now and with ayahuasca, who knows, maybe we're getting a second chance to, to, to rewrite the future. Um, so let's go into this uh, Foucault discipline issue. Sure. And a lot of your book is about the, um, the ills of our contemporary society and the uh, role of ayahuasca as a curative. So let me ask a, a Foucault question right off. Uh, Foucault doesn't make sense to me in the, in the sense that all culture by definition is uh, initiate people into its culture. Uh, and this is not an enlightenment invention or a Western invention. I mean, Chinese culture, Japanese culture, Indian traditional culture, uh, all of the, these are by definition uh, initiatory, disciplinary, and mold people into their cultures. Well, so what is unique about either uh, the industrial culture that Foucault talks about or our contemporary neoliberal culture? Well, first of all, we don't initiate people into our culture at all unless you call initiation like teaching someone how to order something on Amazon. I mean, there, there's no initiate, initiatory process for young people in America. I mean, I guess you used to have something like the military that you know imploded with um, the the '60s protest, and that would be definitely a uh, something that Foucault would call disciplinary societies. I mean, uh, disciplinary societies for Foucault were a series of interlocking institutions: the nuclear family, the military, the prison, the local parish church. The you know these things, but these things have all imploded since the 1980s. The, these don't exist anymore. And now we have kind of like a free floating society where everyone has a smartphone and they can, you know, whatever. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's been reduced to being a, a techno consumer in, 20, in, in, in 21st century global culture. Now, disciplinary societies, the way Foucault referred to them, were specific to societies of Western capitalism, America, Europe, Australia, stuff like that. And they refer to really, and you know, I missed something when I'm talking about these interlocking institutions. The main one was the factory for Foucault. 
that that was the main one. And you know, how many factories are in America right now? You know, everyone works in their smartphone or, work, or, or working in, in uh, technology. So there is definitely a difference between disciplinary societies, which hit a high point in the 1950s, and what you're seeing with neoliberal consumer culture in the 21st century. I mean, well, is that good or bad? In other words, have we escaped? Post-disciplinary society. Yeah, I mean that's that's the point that I was making about Timothy Leary. Timothy Leary, his whole critique was of disciplinary societies. That's what he. I mean, he didn't say it like that because let's face it, Timothy Leary doesn't even come close to someone like Foucault in terms of his cultural analytic ability. Timothy Leary, you know, he was an interesting cultural figure, but I mean, he he's not Michel Foucault. I mean, not not even in the same ballpark. Um, so. Leary was, in many ways, rolled out the red carpet for neoliberal society. He, he didn't know he was doing it at the time, but he was like rolling out the red carpet for, 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 for neoliberalism. So I think what we have to do right now is really be aware of what's happening and really try to open the space for a global, non-capitalist society in some way where, where, where decent people can live decent lives. Okay, and so that's, that's the call. For another book, I like to um, yeah, that's called another book off, and another talk for bring sure. Bring up, bring <laughs> up to my no, but I, no, another book, but part of this talk, I like to bring up to in, in an architectural context. <clears throat> in the sixties, I read a book by Paul and Percival Goodman called Communitas. I think it was written in nineteen forty nine, and it was their utopian proposal for. Um, an alternative uh, culture. I mean, they built, uh, proposed an entire culture. And I see that totally lacking in uh, architecture and sociology today. Yeah. Uh, it's very fashionable to be critical of our culture, which uh, doesn't do too badly in terms of life extension, affluence, access to everything, uh, to be critical of it. But I haven't seen the concrete proposals for uh, alternatives. <laughs> Maybe that's uh, what we need to do next. Yeah, no, I I would agree with that. And you, you know, Z, uh, Slavoj Žižek just wrote a book a couple years ago, "The Courage of Hopelessness." And you know, part of his part of his thesis was, listen, there are no answers right now. I mean, cap globalized capitalism is dominating everything, from healthcare to education to the basic infrastructure of basic uh, productive processes, and it's okay to be hopeless. And like, but I guess what he's saying is like, not knowing what to do and being hopeless about it, that can open the space for having a new idea of, right. of, of, of what we can do to escape that logic. But you know, most of the so-called cultural critics, I mean, they're, they're, not, they're not criticizing capital. They're, they're demanding, I mean, they're, they're criticizing maybe gender relations or um, patriarchy or something like that, but it's, it's always within the horizon of neoliberal logic. What I try, I mean, my books are, I critique the form itself, right? Rather than just focusing on the content that's not adding up. But I mean, if, if I was to describe my critique of, you know, I've, I've written, this is my eighth book, The Ayahuasca Dialogues, and I've, I have two more coming out after that in the next couple of months, but, if I was to describe it in a, in a sentence, 
I would say my, my criticism is of the global capitalist system, its integration with the technologies of Silicon Valley, and most importantly, most importantly, the ideology that supports it, that gets people to accept it. I mean, that is, in a sentence, my criticism of the world. Now, like I said, I've, I've written several books exploring that one single sentence, but that is my criticism of the world. And it's my criticism simply because if we do not become conscious of that, we're done for in the next 50 years. And this is not like a conspiracy theory. Like the main line of, of neoliberal thought is telling us now we are on the verge of a climate catastrophe that's going to, I mean, Jared, I just read an, an interview of, of Jared Diamond, who's a mainstream accepted liberal commenta uh, commentator on the world. And he said, by 2050, the world's done. So, I mean, me saying that is, is there, there, there's nothing radical about me saying that if we don't wake up and become conscious of what's happening, we're, we're in big trouble. Um, so that, that would be it. Now, what do we do from here? I mean, I don't know, you know, but I, 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 I think before, see, the problem is, is that so many people don't know what the problem is. So they're, they're looking for solutions. We have to identify the problem first. So my books are not really like, this is what we should do. They're, here's the problem. And I try to enumerate the problem in numerous ways. Gentrification of cities, the heroin crisis in America. I, I, I use boxing in one of my books as like kind of tracing the genealogy of, of, of boxing from disciplinary societies to neoliberal control societies. And then this, I would say, actually, if, if, if I'm analyzing my own work, this book, the ayahuasca book, would be the first of my books to even kind of flirt with a solution. And I by no means think, I by no means state ayahuasca is the answer or anything like that. But what I do say in the, and you know, you've read the book, you, you had an advanced copy of it, that Amazon, that plant medicine and, and ayahuasca can be a tool to help us think out this problem. So because, let's, let's look at... Uh... Ricardo Amaringo, and uh, where did you say he's located? And what is the, and people are traveling there for this experience of release. So what is they, their diagnosis and solution? Well, Ricardo, you know, if I would just, if I was to describe Ricardo as a person, you know, he's, first of all, he's a shaman. He's a very, very powerful shaman. And if I was to describe him, I would describe him, he's a man of immense talent. That's how I describe him. I was, I was talking about him to a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago when I was home in Boston. I'm actually back in Boston now. I'm flying back to South America tomorrow morning. But I was describing him as almost as like um, there was a guy in the football team or the basketball team. He, he's the type of guy that scores 30 points every night. You know, he's a total star. And... So he's a man of talent, and I would, and even though he's a shaman, I would describe him as a person of, you know, he is street smart. He's he's a man who has common sense, and I'm sure he would. Art, I, I don't think he would articulate things the way I do. And, and um, you know, he's a shaman, not a theorist. I'm just thinking here now how he would. Art, he he would probably say something like, "People's the problem with the world is that people's the energy of." of humanity is blocked and it has to be cleaned. And, you know, I would agree with that. 
I mean, I, I would definitely agree with that. You know, when, but I guess my point is, is that when you have 7 billion people living with such stress and uh, emotional and, and energetic and energetic blockages, what you get is the very system that I've been describing, the globalized capital consumerist system, a technological apparatus, a planetary system of corporate military. I mean, that's what the corporate military is, of corporate militarism. That's what you get when you have a planet of 7 billion sick people, right? So that's that. So we're, we're, we would basically say the opposite thing, but we would say the same thing from opposite perspectives. Him from the ground level shamanic position, me from the kind of high up in the sky theoretical position. But I mean, you know, R Ricardo, he's been around a lot of people, right? And, you know, he's, he, he's a very wise person. And, you know, we did this book together. So obviously we, we have a lot of similarities in terms of our, our basic worldview. And I think, I don't know if you picked this up from the dialogue, but, you know, I felt that it was a nice, uh, there's a nice harmony we have going back and forth where he's coming from one perspective, I'm coming from the other, and we're kind of, you know, share, sharing ideas of, about right. the world. Uh, let's digress for a moment and define or describe what is a shaman, what is shamanism. Yeah. What is a shaman? Well, what I would say, shamanism first and foremost is a, it's a decentered, localized system of practice. What I mean by that is it's a technique, shamanism. It's a technique. It's a te it's a technology, really, in the true sense of the word. When we think of technology today, we think of computational processes and algorithms and satellite technologies going around the planet, stuff like this. Big, big abstract systems. But the root of the word is Greek. It comes from techni, which is a method or a discourse, and logi, which is a study. So, so technology is a study of a discourse, study of a method. Um, and that's really what shamanism is. It's a, it's a technology of healing. Um, as for the decentered nature of shamanism, what I mean by that is that the shamanism of, let's say, the Aborigines in Western Australia would, would utilize very different techniques and methods and have a certainly a radically different cosmological understanding of the human being than what you will find on, let's say, the plains of North Dakota or, in our case here, the jungles of Peru. You know, my, my second question in the dialogue is, as you read, I asked Ricardo, what, what, is, a, what is a shaman? What is shamanism? And, and he responded with the one-line answer. A shamanism is someone who heals wounds. A shaman is someone who heals wounds. Um, and that's, I, I would agree with that. That's what a shaman does. He heals not only individuals, but social systems. He, he puts together community. He keeps the community's social fabric together. And that ability centers upon a set of techniques or a centers upon a methodology that and I think this is the key thing about shamanism it's absent a formal theoretical system shamanism is not a theory at all it's a practice it's a method it's a discourse it's not a theory I mean yes there are some theoretical caveats that go along with shamanism but it's it's I think Patabi Joyce, the famous yoga instructor, had a famous saying like, yoga is 99% practice, 1% theory. And that would be similar to shamanism. It's 99% it's practice and 1% theory. Um, so yeah, and like that's how shamanism, at least in my opinion, really differs from the great religions of the world. 
in, in the sense that what the, 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 the great religions of the world, what they have first and foremost is a long theoretical history. A long, I mean, you look at Christianity, it goes from St. Augustine to St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Thomas Aquinas to Kierkegaard. I mean, you, you have, and a lot more people, I'm just mentioning three of my favorites. Um, and then in addition to that, you have this kind of monstrous institutional appendage that goes with that. You don't have that in shamanism. What you have in shamanism is different shamanism, different shamans in different places, you, you, utilizing different methods that have different understandings of the world. So that's what I would say. However, I would also say that even though the great religions of the world are in, very different from shamanism, I do think they have, there, there's something about their roots that have, that underneath every theology is some kind of shamanic gesture, some kind of shamanic root. I mean, when you look at Christianity, let's, you know, let's look at Christianity again, because that's what I'm most familiar with talking about. Um, there can be no doubt from one perspective that Christianity makes a radical and complete break with archaic religion, shamanism, mythology. There's no doubt about that. That, that is the elementary Christian gesture. But from another perspective, you look at the gospel accounts. I mean, what is Christ doing? He's, he's a, he's a, he's a, dark-skinned Jew living on the fringes of the Roman Empire, walking through Galilee, healing people. So there is something shamanistic about Christ, even if his theology is very different from shamanism, right? So shamanism is by no means a religion in the sense that it, it definitely lacks a formal institutional apparatus. It lacks, like I said, a, a theory. Um, and this is what I think religion is so lacking today. I mean, when you look at religion, what you would hope from it, what you would, what you would hope it would do, it, it would heal people. That's, that's what you would hope religion would really do. It would bring about a healing. And that is just not happening today in religion. It's not at all. I mean, it's, it's kind of like you go to church on Sunday type of thing, right? Or you go to the mosque, or you go to the temple. So I think what the religions of the world need today is to be revital, not, not, not necessarily stop, but revive, be revitalized through some kind of shamanic encounter. Not so they can change their theology, but so their theologies can be revitalized and do what they were supposed to do, which is to help people, which, and really, which is to heal people. So that's why people are going into the Amazon right now, because the religions of the world aren't doing their job. They're not. So if you were, if you had a choice of being uh, the next Mark Zuckerberg, that you could introduce a social order and a technology that would be uh, healing of our current situation, or you could enter, you could be the, well, that's kind of a little grandiose here. You could <laughs> be the next Christ. You could introduce a spiritual discipline which yeah. would revive a, a quality in each individual person, and that might be done through ayahuasca centers or whatever. Which do you think is more important for us going forward? Well, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg is, you know, he seems like a nice guy. He seems like a decent guy. But, I mean, he represents a system that is destroying the planet, right? So I think that, and not just the planet, actually, to be, you know, the, 
Silicon Valley technologies actually why people tend to be attracted to them is because they don't poison the planet, the the ecology of the planet the way coal mines did and oil fields have done. But it's poisoning the psychic topography of the planet. It's poisoning people's emotional and and, and spiritual and, and mental experience. So I I would never want to be another Mark Zuckerberg and and but no I I, I do think that you know, you're, you're, you're aware of John David Ebert's work. And, and one of the things that me and John have talked about and we see is that, you know, we could be on the cusp of a new axial age. And the, the axial age was the 5th century BC, 6th, 5th century BC, when you had all of these different people emerging. You had the Jewish prophets. You had the situation in Greece with Socrates and Plato. You had Lao Tzu in China. You had Buddha in India. You had Zoroaster in Iran. You had... You had all these people emerging at the same time in different cultures and different situations. Let me just interrupt. So, years sure. ago, let me just interrupt. Years ago, Gore Vidal wrote a novel about a character who travels across Eurasia and meets every one of those figures. Ah, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, we, we could be coming to a situation like that. I mean, I, I, I definitely think we're right for that. So, yeah, I think that. You know, it's it's very interesting. One of the things that people think, and you and you see this, it, it's unfortunate that this is the the kind of mainstream liberal view that religion is archaic and stupid, and you know, kind of like we need science, or I, I really can't figure that out. But you know, you look at someone like Zizek, who is like the radical. Marxist, communist thinker of planet Earth today. Kind, kind of like, and not to mention that, like one of the most important philosophers. I mean, he is like, he says all the time that like the way to critique the world today is through a theological frame. And, 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 and I would go a, a step further. It is the only way to critique the world today, to really critique the world today. You have to see it through a theological frame. And that by no means means some like fundamentalist Christian or kind of some fundamentalist Islamic method, which, which you see in like right wing um, in, in the alt right and stuff like that. I'm saying the, the theology in its most radical sense, which would include, in, in my opinion, the shamanic discourses, the shamanic techniques and, and, and ayahuasca. But it's like you have to see things through a metaphysical horizon. You have to critique things. And so I to your point, I think that. I don't know if I'd say it like that, like a new Christ figure. I, that kind of thing scares me a little bit, but I, I, I do think that um, that the world is ripe for a, a some kind of consciousness raising activity, something like this. And this doesn't mean you have to have a new religion. I, I think if you have if you raise your consciousness, you can experience your own religion in a new way. You if you're Buddhist, you can experience Buddhism in a new way. So, or you're, you can experience Judaism in a new way or whatever religion you happen to be. So, but to your point, I think that in this situation right now, the world is absolutely ripe for new techniques of ecstasy, new techniques of consciousness raising. And the key thing is that they're free. They're, they're free from the capitalist system because, you know, you guys like Tony Robbins right now, I mean, this is the ultimate Let's raise consciousness so long as you participate in capitalist. I mean, Tony Robbins, I mean, again, 
I don't like to say bad things about individual people, but I mean this guy and the damage this guy has done to people and the system that he disseminates of this kind of fake personal development so long as you fully participate. In, I mean, this is so wrong what this guy has done. But, you know, it's the new age California life coaching Buddha kind of like yoga type of hybridization that we've seen since the 1990s in, in global culture. And it's so toxic. It is so toxic. So we need some kind of consciousness raising that approaches the basic, you know, it's, you know, what's so funny. All of the great religions of the world, they, the answers are there. Be nice to people, love people, have, forgive people. I mean, but we have to do it in, in a new way that reflects the sociocultural and and um, and technological and co and cosmic. That's the key thing that we, we have to start seeing ourselves as not just global citizens, but fucking galactic citizens. I mean, we have to see ourselves in a new way. And I think that's something that has to be done outside of the capitalist system. It, it cannot be done within capitalism. So this is this is this is what I think, and this is what I think ayahuasca can happen. But again, there are dangers here. There are dangers here. I mean, Iowa, I mean, you know, you look at what happened in Colorado two weeks ago. They legalized mushrooms. Now, from one perspective, that's great. But you have guys in Silicon Valley right now microdosing LSD and mushrooms to increase their own productivity. In other words, they're using they're using these technique these shamanic techniques, or in, in the case of LSD, these these kind of these 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 these, these psychedelic compounds to increase their status in the neoliberal horizon. I mean, that is like horrifying, man. That is scary shit right there. Sorry to keep swearing, um, but- No so, problem on our station. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But um, I think that's, that, that has to be broken. There has to be some kind of a vental process or gesture that makes people see life in a, that we have to see beyond that. And it's like it's, it's clamping down on us more and more because I think to a certain extent, people's consciousness is being raised right now, whether we like it or not. Just the just the, vi the vibration of the planet is changing. And so that's why these tech like, you know, the introduction of all these really powerful. Artificial intelligence, quantum computing, 5G, these are on the horizon and these are not consciousness raising technologies. These are these are reducing the latent potentiality of, of the human subjectivity. So to your point, in a word, yes, I agree. Okay. <laughs> so um, we should start wrapping up. Tell us a little bit of more about this place in Peru, who goes there, how they get there, uh, and how, what, what might you suggest self-help-wise for our audience who don't have access to, uh, you know, flying down to Peru. Sure. So the place that Ricardo owns is called Niue Rao. It's the, the Niue Rao Center. It's called the Niue Rao Center. N-I-H-U-E, and the second word is R-A-O. Thanks. If, if you Google that, you'll find a lot of stuff. And it's, a, it's an ayahuasca, it's a traditional Shipibo healing center. That's the indigenous culture of Ricardo's background. Um, it was founded in 2011 and it was, co he actually co-founded it with two people, a, uh, 
a doctor named Joe Tefer, who, you know, he's a, I think he was, um, I think he graduated from UC San Diego, I think. And he did his residency at UCLA. You know, he's a, he's a, um, I think he's a family, I think he's a family doctor, I believe. And, and an, an artist, a, a visionary artist, a woman named Savita Mamik. So the three of them founded it in 2011. And now it's kind of established itself as one of the major centers. I mean, there's a lot of different centers in the Iquitos area and in, in, in the jungle regions of, of Peru. But it's, it, you know, Niue Rao is without question one of the most respected ones um, and one of the most well-known ones. And it's, you know, it's, it's been doing a, it has a consistent clientele week in and week out. Um, and, oh, my phone's ringing. And, um, yeah, so how you would get there, if you're in America or Europe, you would fly to Lima. And like I said, there's no, you can't drive to Iquito. So you would take a, a, um, a plane to um, Iquitos. And then you would go for a week, 10 days, a month, depending on what you were looking to do. Um, and, 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 that's, and that's it. So it's a, I guess you'd call it a retreat center, I guess. That would be the, like the easiest way to, to, to kind of classify it. But it's a retreat center that specializes in the, the shamanic techniques of Ricardo's tradition and utilizes ayahuasca plant medicine. And I should mention, while, while you were there, they have ceremonies four nights a week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. So there's three nights a week off, and then you have four ceremonies a week. Yeah. So uh, let's wrap up. This is John LaBelle. You've been listening to Visionaries at prn.fm. Uh, Progressive Radio Network. We're here every Monday at 10 a.m. You can catch our back shows, including this one, at visionaries.podbean.com. And we've been talking to Brian Francis Calkin, author of The Ayahuasca Dialogues, just out now. Look for it on, uh, on Amazon. Globalization, Plant Medicine, and the Healing of the Human Heart. And Brian's taking off for Peru and then the jungle. So, Brian, anything you want to add and have a great trip. I got to get up at 3 a.m. tomorrow morning and get into Logan Airport. So, I'm, I'm, I, Thanks I get to spending sleep. time with us. Yeah, thank you, John, for How having me. It's always you go from Logan to where to where? Tomorrow, I'm, there's no directs from um, Boston to Lima. So, tomorrow, I'm actually flying to Fort Lauderdale and Fort Lauderdale to, to um, down in South America. So, yeah. Cool. Okay, thank you, and we'll figure out how to interview you again from Peru. All right, John, thank you so much for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.